welcome to episode 14 of the Daily MTG Podcast. I'm your host, Trick Jarrett, here with my two co-hosts, Tifa Mayan and Gavin Verhey. How are you guys doing? Fabulous, Trick. Having an awesome week. Good, good. We have a, a special guest in the building, in the room, Alexis Jansen, head designer, lead designer, lead designer of Dragon's Maze. How you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. We, uh, we're excited to have you here. We've been talking about having you in here for a couple of weeks uh, to talk about this set. But before we dive into it, we wanted to talk about how you came to Wizards, because you came by a path not often traveled. Tell us a little bit about the experience of playing and, and working on the Great Designer Search. Yeah, the Great Designer Search was sort of having a second job. It was easily something that I spent all of my free time on and some of my uh, work hours on at the same time. So sure. It was actually when I got here after winning the Great Designer Search, I actually worked less on Magic than I did during the Great Designer Search, if that is possible. Sure. Um, and I was sense. working really hard when I got here. It was sort of my chance to show that I could really get the job done and that I could uh, hang with the hang with the big boys. As right. More. What was it like? I mean, going from transitioning from playing casually and making designs to being inside of the building. Was it a big learning curve? Like, how how, how did you feel uh, getting inside R&D? I think the biggest change was it got really intimidating at first because here you are in a position where every day you're playing people that you've, people that you've heard legends about, people that are big names. You, you're sitting down in front of them. You know, before, before I actually started working at Wizards, I'd maybe played one or two people that had big names, people that you'd recognize from the Pro Tour or whatever. And so right. changing from that mode of playing Magic to one where every day I sit down and play games against Eric Lauer and Mark Rosewater and all these other names that you've heard of, it was kind of really intimidating. Um, the actual designing wasn't difficult as I thought it was. It kind of just flowed naturally. It was a, a pretty amazing creative outlet, actually. How long was it after you came to the company before you, you got on your first design or development team? The first day I got here, Mark Rosewater handed me printed out files for, I believe, Future Sight, Lorwyn, and Morningtide, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. Basically said, just spend the next few days reading these over and making comments. And after that, we were all put on design and development teams from basically day one. Okay. And, uh, they just kind of threw us into the into the fire, as it were. And now you have reached the point where you now have your first lead design with Dragon's Maze. That's been a, a, a bit of a journey, hasn't it? it? It has been quite a journey, actually. As some people may not know, uh, at the end of the Great Designer Search, I won a six-month internship, but there was no guarantee of an actual position after that. Right. After those six months, I got a position doing uh, programming for Magic Online, so I kind of took a step back from doing R&D work, but they still let me on sets here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd always had this goal of eventually leading a set. It wasn't clear to me if that was ever going to happen because it's certainly a lot harder to get someone, convince somebody that you should spend 50 plus percent of your time leading a set when you're not actually working in R&D. It was right. kind of a tough sell for basically <laughs> the chain of command all the way up through the vice president in charge of digital uh, gaming. So... I was uh, actually a little bit surprised when it happened. Congratulations. Like, that's a pretty awesome story and way to get up. Do you have a favorite set that you've worked on? Uh, besides Dragon's Maze, it's kind of hard <laughs> kind of hard for me not to say that the first set that I led design is my favorite set I designed. But prior to that, I would probably say Shadowmoor was actually my favorite set that I'd worked on. I was actually on the development team for Shadowmoor, but 
it was the first set that I felt I really had a huge impact on, and I was able to uh, create lots of interesting cards and uh, mechanics and other things. That it was really fulfilling to finally see my own work actually see print. Sure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your team for Dragon's Maze? So you're coming in, and you have your design team, and so you're leading it up, and who's going to be working with you on this set? It was actually a really amazing team, looking back. Um, we had Mark Rosewater. He's basically on every set these days, but he also had to be on the set because it was my first lead, and typically he makes sure he's on the sets when people have their first lead. Um, but between Mark and Aaron and Eric Lauer, we had a lot of star power, a lot of people who had been on a ton of teams and kind of brought a lot of experience to the table. But we also had Sean Main from the GDS2 bringing a lot of new insights and new ideas to the table, as well as Dan Emmons, who had actually never been on a set at all before, also bringing a lot of new talent. So it was a really nice mix of new and old, bringing a lot of good creativity to the table. And you were going to need that too, right? So you get off Return to Ravnica, you get off Gatecrash, two huge sets, and you follow it up with a small set that somehow encompasses all ten guilds. How did you attack that challenge? Right, that was definitely the biggest challenge of Dragon's Maze, actually, was how do we create a set that is approximately a third to a quarter of the size of the other two sets combined, and yet still has to follow up those two sets with more of everything, and yet somehow be unique, somehow have something new in it. Um, We actually spent most of our time debating what about the set would make it new and what about the set would make it different from the previous two sets. Uh, Most of the set kind of just came together naturally. You know there's going to be ten mechanics. You know there's going to be all ten guilds represented equally. You know that some of the, all of the keywords are going to be represented. There's lots of pieces that just kind of fall into place. So most of our time was spent trying to answer that question. Well, how does the position, how does your role change? I mean, going from designer to head designer of a set. Kind of changes in two major ways. One is you just put a lot more time into it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of your, uh, all of the other designers are contributing ideas, discussion, cards, and all, all the different pieces that go together to make a set. But, the lead designer has to take all of that, sort through it, put it together, and come out with something at the end. So you're just putting a lot more time into it. Right. Um, the other part is that you just have to make lots of decisions. You have to make lots of just... You can't discuss every decision with your team. You can't sit them down and say, okay, which of these three cards is best? You just have to make a call, put it in, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to kind of get comfortable with making unilateral decisions and just seeing what happens rather than leaning on everybody else to carry the weight of the set. I think also I wanted to ask about you know the the set's new mechanic fuse. Uh, you wrote about it in your article on Daily MTG, but let's talk about that some. Uh, they came to you and said, "This is what you, we want you to do: split cards." Or did you come up with this idea? It was sort of destined from the beginning when you look back at how it worked out, but it wasn't clear that that was going to happen when we first discussed it. Return to Ramnica and Gate Crash had hybrid cards, which were sort of a revisit from the first block. And we had decided that instead of hybrid cards, we would do split cards again, which, again, was a revisit from the old block. But the, the goal was to put something in the set that was multicolor technically but also had monocolorness to it, mm-hmm. sort of get multicolor cards in the set that supported decks of three colors better and could go in either color and just gave you more drafting options. It was basically the initial goal. Um, when we looked at that, we realized that the idea of putting a ability on the split cards that lets you play both halves just almost came naturally out of that. It was an idea that's been floated around several times. It wasn't... I'm not going to claim that it was a unique, inspirational idea. It was, it sure. was an obvious place to go. The important part was realizing that now was the time to do it. We mm-hmm. needed something that fit naturally into the set, and since we were already going to have split cards, 
and we needed an 11th mechanic, but it needed to kind of fit quietly into the set and not disturb all the other pieces too much. It was just a natural fit. And we had it in all the way from the beginning. It just, we didn't realize until late in the game that that was actually going to be what was going to be the big change about the set. So I'm sure when you when you did find that that was the decision, uh, that helped a little with the stress of the set? Or did that bring up more challenges along the way? I'm not sure I would say I was ever stressed about finding my set's theme, my set's... Uh, the newness about the set wasn't really ever a huge stress. It was always just something that I had to keep in the back of my mind for every decision. Is this something that we can do differently or something we have to do the same? And a lot of stuff in the set is very subtle nod toward that, such as the cycle of cards that cares about two gates rather than one or the multicolor matter cycle at common. Things like that sort of added up over time to create a set that had a different feel, and that was intentional. We, we wanted to make sure that the set would play differently than the previous two sets. Let's talk for a second about gates, because those are a huge, huge piece of this set. I mean, we had Return to Ravnica and Gate Crash, which both had their respective gates, but not a ton of Gate Matters cards, a couple. Here we've got a full cycle of Gatekeepers at Common, and they're really kind of a, a huge turning point for the limited format. How did you guys decide on that being the thing that made gates matter? Because I know we talked about a lot of things down in R&D at different points, and some of them were crazy, some of them were normal. Eventually we ended up with a gate in every pack. How do you feel about where that ended up, and... And how do you think that, that impacted your design choices? I don't remember exactly at which point we decided to put a gate in every pack, but I do remember that at the point we did decide that, we realized, well, there's going to be lots of gates going around, and that's good for the format. We want people to play the gates because they're going to be playing three-plus color decks most likely. We wanted to make sure there were cards that supported and sort of told people, yes, this is something you should be doing. So we, we had a lot of cards that cared about multiple gates in different ways. Design didn't actually have the cards that specifically said two gates on them. That was something that I believe development added later. But the concept of having things that cared about multiple gates was in there pretty early on, as soon as we realized that the mana fixing was going to be a key piece of the puzzle. Talking about specific cards, are there any cards that you remember putting in the file that came all the way through? My favorite story about cards that made it all the way through goes back to when, before we started even designing Return to Ravnica, we sat down in a room and drafted basically the entire block made up of random cards, existing cards, new cards. Basically, we threw together a bunch of cards to create three pseudo-sets. They weren't the real sets, they were just structural to see if the draft would work. Mm -hmm. So as part of making this draft work, I had to basically create an entire set from scratch because the first two sets we had existing cards from Ravnica to put together, but the right. third set, there just wasn't enough cards to make. So as part of that creating that set, I had to create mana fixing and other cards of that nature. And the mana fixing I put in the first draft of that set is exactly the same as the mana fixing you will see at Common in your Dragon's Maze packs today. Huh. So... Even though we went through five or six different designs for common mana fixing, we eventually somehow randomly ended up back at the beginning again. And that's kind of my favorite story of how things made it all the way through. Well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome that that happened. Which are the clue stones? The clue stones, correct. Right. I know you guys tried a bunch of different designs for those while you were in design, so it's funny that you came back to where you started, right? Sometimes you try something a bunch of times, you're like, well, will this work? No. Will this work? No. Will this work? No. Hey, maybe the original thing was the best. It's actually sort of design's job to try things that are more outlandish and more crazy and find out if they work because development can usually find something safe to fall back on if design fails to find something exciting but if design does find something exciting then it's even better because now you found something exciting right. uh, the clue stones just happen to be somewhere where going back to the safe simple design made more sense based on what the set needed 
I really like the clue stones, actually. I like the idea that, like, okay, I have so much mana out now, and I need something else I can pay to draw a card. Like, I really like that idea. I have one more question. This is the burning question everybody wants to know, Alexis. All right, it's Great Designer Search 1 versus Great Designer Search 2. It's you, Graeme Hopkins, Mark Globus, and Ken Nagel versus Dan Emmons, John Laux, Sean Main, and Ethan Fleischer in a 4v4 draft of Dragon's Maze, Gate Crash, Return to Ravnica. Who wins? Wow, that's a tough question. I think, I, I think I'm just going to go with home team on that one and go with uh, Great Designer <laughs> Search 1. Good choice. Well, now we have one of those guys in here. We'll have, a, have to throw them the same question and see if they, how they feel about it. Thanks for coming in, Alexis. It was great to, to have you comment on uh, your set. I mean, it's an awesome set. I'm so excited for it. I mean, it really is more of what people liked from Return to Ravnica and what they liked from Gate Crash. And I think if you like either of those sets, which hopefully you do, Dragon's Maze is going to be a blast for you all. So. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it was really nice to hear some of the backstories. And I really like your first set, so I look forward to seeing more. Thanks a lot. I do, too. Thanks. That was awesome. I mean, getting to talk to the lead designer, uh, especially someone as awesome as Alexis. Yeah, that was really cool. I'm glad that we brought her in. Uh, I have to tell you guys, the big thing is this weekend. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Ours is actually coming up in two days. I'm so excited. Even when I got in the building for the first time to play Return to Ravnica Limited, I was already looking forward to playing with the full block. I was like, yeah, I guess this set is kind of awesome. But what what, what happens when the full block is out? You can play every guild you want. You mix and match mechanics. It's like cats and dogs and lizard frogs living together. The world is going to be a wonderful place this weekend. And hopefully you all go out to a pre-release and experience the set and also the maze. Yeah, I'm very, very excited. Uh, I love pre-releases. I love seeing new sets and trying out new things and restarting on the, okay, how do I draft this? Yeah. I'm excited because we have the awesome Implicit Maze event going on at pre-releases. If you guys haven't seen or heard yet, uh, we are doing an awesome pre-release activity called the Implicit Maze, just like what Jace and Ralzeric are are dealing with in the story of Return to Ravnica. And... We have a great pre-release primer up on dailymtg.com. It's localized, so you can read it in your native language. Uh, it went up on Monday, so you'll have to find it in the archives at this point. But definitely go check it out. But we're going to talk about it here anyways because it's that awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. I hope to do my guild proud when I go to the pre-release. Right. So the first thing that's going to happen when you go to your pre-release is that you're going to pick a guild. Preferably your guild. So, like, I'll pick Boros. I'll pick Simic. Oh, and I'll be picking Demir. Right. And so then, with your guild pack, you not only get your guild, you get a guild secret ally. So there's going to be four secret allies for each guild. And they are a guild that shares the color with your chosen guild from the opposing set. So if I'm Boros from Gatecrash, there are four options open to me from Return to Ravnica. Is it Rakdos, Celestia, and Azorius? Those are the four secret ally guilds I'll have to build. I'll have one of those to build with. So I might get Boros, Rakdos, or which I would love to get Boros Rakdos because that's all about turning my guys into the red zone. Or I'll get Boros Azorius, which is very thematic. You know, the law and the soldiers rock, ruling the battlefield because Azorius will lock my opponent down and then I'll, I'll get into the red zone. But that's the starting point when you get to the implicit maze. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get Simic Selesnya uh, just because it, green is my favorite color to play. Um, and I would really like the combination of populate and evolve because it's like oh everything just keeps getting bigger and then i'm populating more dudes and my things get even bigger and that seems awesome but i would also like uh simic and azorius because having that extra control 
um, is really cool too because it's like while I'm building up my creatures, I'm not going to let you do anything. And all the flying too is so brutal. Yeah, that's that's important when you're playing green. Because your evolved guys can hold off the ground pretty well because they get pretty big, but if there's a ground stall, suddenly your 2-2 flyers can lead the way to victory. Right, and that way if somebody is playing flyers, um, it won't be like a mono green deck where you know I have limited options. I'll actually have some flyers of my own. So what will happen after you get your, your pre-release skilled pack is you'll sit down and you guys will build your decks just as normal. And as we've talked about previously, between the two guilds that you get, you'll really have a strong footing to set out with for a three-color deck. You'll have one shared color between the two guilds, and then you'll have four Dragon's Maze booster packs. First time we've ever given you four booster packs for a small set at a pre-release. So, Gavin, what what are you hoping that your secret ally is? Oh, Azorius for sure. I think that the combination of Cypher alongside all the flying creatures is just, just great, right? It makes it really easy to, you know, do things I like, like draw lots of cards and make my opponent discards lots of cards and, you know, generally make them miserable. So it's going to be a, <laughs> a fun time for me. Man, you're such a friendly person when you're not playing Magic. <laughs> well, I'm friendly when I'm playing Magic, too. It just it's, it's the card's fault, man. I don't know what happened. They just All these abilities are triggering. I, it's, they're not May abilities anymore. I can't can't stop it. Sorry. <laughs> so what, do you want to talk a little bit about, bit about how the maze is actually going to work? Because it's going to be cool. There's going to be a big poster on the wall. You're going to be running through it. Yeah. Want to run that down for us, Trick? Sure. So after you've built your decks, after you've built your usually a three-color deck, you are a member of a guild, and the guild you're a member of is the one that you chose at the pre-release. So if I chose, even though I got a Boros Rakdos pre-release skill pack, I'm a member of the Boros Legion. Uh, Tifa, if she gets Simic Celestia, as she hopes, she's a member of the Simic Combine. And then uh, as a member of House Demir, Gavin over there will be fighting for Demir. So every round you win, your win goes towards a count for your guild. And, uh, or goes towards helping your guild. So depending on how large your pre-release is, that actually affects how fast your guild moves through the maze. So if you have a small pre-release with maybe just 20 people or so, uh, uh, winning your round could move your guild two spots or three spots through the maze towards mazes in, towards victory. And so it really comes down to how well your guild performs. As you move through the maze, you'll see reflected on the poster in your store the stickers move to show you where the guild is, where your guild is compared to everybody else. Yeah, and it'll be really exciting to see... You know, at each pre-release, like, which person moves, and then on Planeswalker points, which guild overall wins. Right. This The, the, the pre-release activity doesn't have an impact on the Planeswalker points guild race other than the points that are generated in the pre-release. But there's definite multiple stakes here, you know. Will Azorius hold on to its lead for the Planeswalker points, uh, or will is it come back into the lead? Just a reminder, folks, if you haven't done it yet, you should go to planeswalkerpoints.com and choose your guild. If you don't do that, then your guild will not get points for your participation in the pre-release this weekend. And doing that also, we are coming down, as I've said, to the end of the Planeswalker Points guild race. And so we're going to actually be disabling the ability for people to join their guild as we near the end of this race to, you know, avoid or minimize the number of people who might hop to the winning guild, for example. Basically, winning at pre-releases is good. You know, you got some packs on the line, you got some new cards, you you know, you get a little bit of Planeswalker points, and also you're going to have this great maze to run, right? So you're playing some matches, you're running the maze, you're beating your opponents, hopefully, and you've opened up some brand new cards that are cool. And if you're in your right guild, if you've assigned, you know, yourself on PlaneswalkerPoints.com, you'll get some points for your guild as well. So it's a win-win situation as long as you go out and play and have a good time and hopefully win some matches. I know I'm planning on uh, spell slinging during the weekend. Do you guys have pre-release plans besides the employee event? I'm going to go drop in on a pre-release or two, but I don't, I'm not going to be playing, I don't think. 
You're more of the observer type. Yeah, I, I like to just sort of appear and suddenly disappear. That's that's more my style. I, I love pre-releases. I've been going to them since know, ten years. I've only missed one in, in over I guess twelve in the years now. Wow, Magic has been around for so long. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm being flown out to uh, to Atlanta to go. Uh, produced at a store there called the Gaming Pit, which should be a lot of fun. Awesome. And I'm going to meet some players, interact, you know, spell sling the whole day long, play some sealed, some standard, and talk about how awesome Dragon's Maze is. I mean, it's one of the first sets I got to work on since I got in here. I got in right around Return to Ravnica time. So these new sets that are coming out are still, like, so, so fresh and exciting. And, you know, all these new cards are kind of swirling around in my mind. So I'll be really excited to kind of show off some of the stuff I helped work on and also just show off how good uh, Alexis and Zach's song to the world is. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's always really exciting to go to pre-releases in places that aren't local. So I'm really looking forward to hearing Gavin's story. Um, I'll be going lo- to a local store here, uh, Uncle's Games in Bellevue. Magic so, is awesome. Magic is awesome. The, the full set is out. What cards are you guys excited about? Like, Let's talk about our, our actual excited cards that we're excited about from this set. Yeah, what's your favorite card you're looking forward to playing with? Catch me like that now, will you, Trick? I see how it is. You, oh, you know all the cards by name. <laughs> That's your superpower. We've discussed this before. One of the cards from this set that I'm most looking forward to playing is actually called Deadbridge Chance. It is one of the most fun cards I've played in a long time. When it comes into play, it's a six-man enchantment, four, a black, and a green. When it comes into play, you flip your top ten cards into your discard pile, and then every turn you pick one at random. If it's a creature, it comes into play. Otherwise, it comes back to your hand. And it is so fun because neither of you knows what you're going to get. You know you're going to get something awesome every turn, but you don't, you don't know what it is. So it's kind of like the holiday season, right? You'll get given a present. It's from Aunt Jody. And, like, maybe it's, like, you know, another pair of socks. But two weeks ago, she got me a check for my birthday. So maybe it'll be, like, another $100 check. And it's, like, really exciting, you know? So you never know what's going to be inside your Deadbridge Chant gifts. And I'm really looking forward to playing with that card. It's really fun in multiplayer, but it's also a lot of fun in Constructed, too. I think it has some standard implications. It's a six-man enchantment. A lot of people just can't get it off the board, and it'll just win you the game over time. So I am incredibly excited for Renegade Crisis. And I actually I try not to pay too much attention to the sets as they're coming out, uh, because when I get to a pre-release, I like to be seeing the cards for the first time. And it's sort of like, oh, man, I haven't seen this. Or, you know, it's really exciting to, like, see brand-new cards, like, in physical form. However, I was watching a lot of the preview content over the preview season. Thank you, Trick, for the preview season. That's what I do. Uh, and I saw the Renegade Crisis video, which was awesome, and it I fell in love with the card right away. I already have, like, plans to put it in my different decks. Uh, and it is a beast mutant creature. It costs one and two green. It has Evolve, and whenever Renegade Crisis evolves, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. And it's a 3-2. So, pretty awesome card. It only costs three. Uh, and if you have, you know, other Evolve creatures, so, you know, my standard decks are going to be incredible with this. Um, or if, you know, even in a draft, like, just grab all the Evolve creatures, like, he's just going to make them even cooler. Yeah, I mean, you can drop them on turn three, and then untap and play another another creature that evolves him, and you're already going nuts. If you lead off with turn one, experiment one, or something like that, you're off the races. You know, if you have the old experiment one into Shamble Shark a draw, this guy is a great guy to follow that up with. Absolutely. So, I, ha- I'm, I have a conundrum. I, I need your guys' help. I'm really excited about Tajik, the uh, the Boros Guild Runner. He is two red white. He's a human soldier, legendary. Two two, Tajik Blade of the Legion is indestructible. And with Battalion, whenever he has uh, two other creatures attacking with him, he gets plus five, plus five until end of turn. So I'm really excited about Tajik. That just seems awesome. 
But I'm also really excited about playing Commander with Aurelia, the war leader from Gate Crash. Who should be my commander? Who do you guys think? That's a really tough call. Why choose? <laughs> Why choose? <laughs> They're both legends. Put them in your deck and you know pick at random. What's the worst that could happen? Sure, sure. I mean, I can alternate between them, but Aurelia is awesome because she gives you that extra combat phase. But Tajik is is a seven seven indestructible attacker. I, I lean towards Aurelia actually. Yeah. Because think of how good he would be. Like, together, they're going to be awesome, right? Sure, with um, the actual guild leader. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. fair. Uh, I'm also really excited for a card that interacts with Gavin's favorite card. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for Varols, the other one of the other maze runners, the uh, Golgari maze runner. He is one black-green troll warrior. He's a 2-2. Each creature in your graveyard has scavenge. The scavenge cost is equal to its mana cost. And sacrifice another creature to regenerate Varol's the Scar Striped. Yeah, I mean, we've actually seen a run on this card, a lot of people talking about for Modern recently, because of a little card called Death's Shadow, which is a single black for a 13-13 creature. Has a drawback, right. when it's in your graveyard. <laughs> that yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. In fact, it helps you because most likely that's the easiest way for you to get it into your graveyard. Right, so it's kind of a neat combination. Maybe we'll see some Modern play with this guy. He's kind of a neat little troll. Yeah. I'm excited, guys. It's it's Dragon's Maze. It's here. We have we have finally reached the point where it is a knocking at our door. Do you guys have favorite fuse cards? Do I have a favorite oh, fuse card? Oh, I absolutely have a favorite fuse card. Uh, my favorite fuse card to play with is Turnburn because you can do a lot of really cool, tricky things with it. First of all, you have the burn burn half, which is one red. Just deals two damage to a creature or player. Oh, you have some nice little spot removal in the early game. You can go to the dome if you need to, knock out a planeswalker if it only has two loyalty, all kinds of cool things. The other half is two and a blue to turn a creature into a zero one with no abilities until the end of the turn. You can use it in conjunction to kill off any creature, basically. And the cool part is when you do that, you get to all their abilities. So say you target a Thrag Tusk, they're not getting a beast anymore. That ability is gone. So it can make, take a Thrag Tusk right out. You can deal with all kinds of problematic Things in that regard. Don't hurt my Thrag Tusk, Gavin. Sorry, your Thrag Tusks are going away, Tifa. Um, <laughs> you can deal with, with any kind of problematic thing. And there's also some really crazy stuff you can do if your opponent's attacking you and you've got creatures. They might attack you with, like, I don't know, let's just say a 500-500 creature, because why not? And and a 2-2, because why not? And you can kill the 2-2 and turn the 500-500 into a 0-1 and then block it with one of your creatures. So it's really easy to set up favorable combat combats with this. If your own creature has like an unfavorable leaves play trigger, you could target your own guy with the turn. Uh, it's an uncommon, so it's a lot simpler than some of the rare ones. Like, I mean, I love Beck Call, too. That's one of my favorites. But Turnburn is so much fun to play with because you get to play it a lot in standard, and it reads really, really simple, but it can do a lot of crazy things. Yep. Uh, I, I, I now have a soft spot for Toil and Trouble because it was the first one to really teach me a lesson about Fuse cards. <laughs> I got to play with Toil and Trouble. So Toil side is two and a black. It's a sorcery. Target player draws two cards and loses two life. And then Trouble is two and a red sorcery. Trouble deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards in that player's hand. So I'm playing with Dragon's Maze, and I'm sitting this for my opponent who is at seven life with three cards in hand. I look at this card in my hand. I have Toil and Trouble. I have six mana, and I go, oh, that stinks. I can only deal him five damage. Obviously, that is not correct, because the way when you fuse a spell for Toil and Trouble, you do the left side, then the right side. So if I had cast fused Toil and Trouble on my opponent, he would have taken lost two life, drawn two cards, then have thus have five cards in hand, and thus take five damage from Trouble, 
for the number of cards in his hand. So I could have won the game, but instead I look at my hand and go, oh, I can't do anything, scoop. So I, I, I have a soft spot for Toil and Trouble because of the lesson it taught me. Yeah. That's the nicest thing that card's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Rakdos aren't known for their kindness. They throw a good party. I'm excited for Fuse cards uh, in general because I want to see how that changes drafting. Uh, like, I'm really excited to be, like, to while I'm drafting, look at them as, like, individual cards and then together and see the different options and how they work with that particular format. And then just looking at the cards, I'm excited for give and take and because it's a Simic card, that's pretty obvious reasons. Yeah, you can draw some massive amounts of cards with that. Like, if you've built your guy up with have three or four counters on him, suddenly you're just drawing seven cards. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty crazy what you can do there. And as to the draft thing, it's it's quite exciting. So you open up your pack, and maybe you take a card like Beck Call, let's say, that's green-blue on one side and white-blue on the other side. You could end up going in either direction, mm-hmm. or like in the middle of a draft, it could like encourage you to kind of go all three colors. Right. So it totally like you know can create some interesting decisions where it'll probably end up in your deck either way, but you might draft a little differently to try and get that third color in there, which is really cool. And you'll find with Dragon's Maze, I think in Return to Ravnica and... And Gatecrash, you saw a lot of two-color decks, but Dragon's Maze really has some good three-color encouragement. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do there. Speaking of new things in Dragon's Maze, we have all these great maze runners. There's one for every guild. Which is you guys' favorite? Um, I'll start to lead off with mine. Mine is probably Melek. Is it Paragon? It's one of the most fun cards. I mean, uh, I mean, I love winning games of Magic, but I also love cards that are really fun and allow me to win games of Magic, most of all. And Melek, I built some crazy decks with him. Uh, so he's a six-mana 2-4. Four, a blue and a red. You play with your top card of your library revealed. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from the top of your library, you copy it. So Future Sight's one of my favorite cards, and this is kind of like Future Sight, except you get double. So it's like doubling things that I love. So I don't do math, but that's a lot of numbers <laughs> of things. So, you know, it's suddenly like maybe you cast the new Lightning Helix from this, this set, the uh, Ward Leader's Helix. It's two, a red and a white, to deal four damage to a creature or player, and you gain four life. You flip that over, suddenly you're dealing four damage to two targets, or the same target, and you're gaining eight life in the process. You can, with fuse cards, you could, you know, cast the same half of a split card twice. If you have, like, a Sphinx's Revelation, you can go absolutely bananas. There's a lot of really great stuff you can do with that card, and if you untap with it, it's a lot of fun. I definitely think commander players can build some cool decks around that. Yeah, and I feel like all the Maze Runners are really good. Like, if somebody likes, you know, those two colors or those, like, types of decks, like, there is there is something for everybody. That's how it feels to me. Um, and, of course, while I do like the Simic one, uh, Vorel of the whole clad, I actually think my favorite is Tessa, Envoy of Ghosts. Because uh, she just seems so powerful. Uh, so she costs five, a white, and a black. She's a 4-4 four, four with Vigilance and Protection from Creatures. Also, whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, destroy that creature. Put a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. The thing I love about Tesa is you just keep reading the card waiting for the downside. You're like, all right, all right. So protection from creatures vigilance. All right, she's got drawback. Okay, she kills things that deal damage to me. There must be a drawback here. Wait, a one, I get a 1-1 one, one flyer too? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's so hard to beat that card if it stays on the table. It just knocks down all your opponent's threats and gives you an army of tokens to boot. Yeah, and I I think it might mean that I'm building a Orzhov standard deck like for keeps. And then I will just have a Orzhov standard deck until that deck is no longer in standard because she's amazing. She's, she is awesome. I'm excited. 
And I've already told you my guy's my favorite. I got Tajik. So guys, I'm looking at the clock and it's time, unfortunately, for us to go. Oh. I want I want to keep talking about Dragon's Maze too. There's so much awesomeness we have still to talk about. We'll have to save it for a future episode. I guess we'll have to come back and listen next time. Grandpappy trick, can't we have one more story? No, no, <laughs> no. It's time to go. We have Aww. to go make the magic cards. Yeah, so. I definitely want to hear on Twitter people's pre-release stories, yeah. their favorite open, how their guilds do in the maze. Why don't we go one step further? Why don't you email us about your pre-release? Tell us your best pre-release story from Dragon's Maze, and we'll we'll read some of them on the air next time. Sounds yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Have a good story and tell us about it. Email dailymtgcast at wizards.com. Tell us your story. Tell us where you are uh, in general. We don't need to know exactly. Uh, but, you know, g- give us enough information that we can talk about it. Uh, with that said, you can find me on Twitter. I'm TrickMTG. And I am Gavin Verhey. At Tifa Mayan. And with that, we'll see you all in two weeks. Have fun at the pre-release. Happy Dragon's Maze. Happy Dragon's Maze.